Loving Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection we've just remembered in communion and whose word we're about to study, we ask by your grace that it would be our rule, that your spirit would be our teacher, and that your greater glory would be our supreme concern. Amen. Amen. Well, as Graham said, we carry on in our uh, series in Matthew. Last time was a couple of weeks ago, you might remember, we got to verse 20, and today we come to verse 21. And before we look at it, I want to just pull the focus back, and I want us to think about the gospel of Matthew as a whole, and to ask ourselves, what is it written to teach us overall? What is it really all about? What's its overall concern? And the thing that confronts us immediately is the great problem of sin and the sinful human heart. Remember right back at the very beginning of the gospel when the angel announced Jesus' forthcoming birth. Matthew 1.21, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is the great problem And we need to remember that this problem lives inside the human heart. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And so the problem is the sinful human heart and its evil outworkings. And what are the consequences? Well, we saw, for example, in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for, what? Your whole body to be cast into hell. Or 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to where? Destruction. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the problem of sin and the sinful human heart, its evil outworkings and the consequent judgment and hell. What hope is there? Well, this is what Matthew has been writing about. This is what his gospel is all about. There is hope. And we've had 16 chapters where Matthew has been showing us this unique individual, Jesus of Nazareth. We've seen his words, we've seen his deeds, we've heard his teaching, and now the disciples are starting to realize who this Jesus is. He is the king. He brings the kingdom. And the kingdom is his church. We saw that last time. It will be established where other kingdoms rise and fall. His will stand forever, we heard last time. How so? Because of his identity, his unique identity. He's the Messiah, the one long promise. That's what will enable him to establish this rule. But that raises in our minds a question. How is Jesus going to do this? How is he going to deal with the problem of sin and the sinful human heart and the judgment on hell that it deserves? Now, Simon Peter who's had an outstanding day so far with his eureka moment as he was able to answer Jesus' question in verse 15, who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter gets it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, that's right. Jesus is the Messiah, the one long promised, the one who will save his people from their sins. This is great. Peter gets it, but not completely. Remember the comment we ended with last time in verse 20. Jesus was speaking and he said, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And now we get some insight in our passage today into what Jesus means because there are more aspects to his identity. Simon Peter is commended for grasping the reality of Jesus being the Messiah. That's great, but there's more to who Jesus is. And with that, we come to the beginning of our passage. From that time on, verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now we see a startling new truth. We saw his identity as the Christ the last time. We don't get explanation here. We just get the bold truth that the Messiah and we think of all that that term means in the disciples' minds with its, all its Old Testament background. Imagine them hearing this truth now from Jesus. The Messiah, his mission is going to be cross-shaped, verse 21. And so the problem of the sinful human heart and the judgment and hell that it deserves is going to be dealt with by a cross a cross that Jesus is going to be killed on. As I said, we don't get explanation here. The emphasis at this point is going to fall on the necessity of the disciples to follow him. That's what we're going to hear about. But his mission is going to be cross-shaped. The writer George, George Bernard Shaw derisively talked about what he called cross-tianity, cross-tianity. But we welcome that designation and we glory in it because that is our salvation. This is how the sinful human heart is going to be defeated. But Simon Peter, he's not thinking yet about the problem of the sinful human heart. He's still thinking more about a human mission, more to do with human political and national concerns the Romans, and a different sort of king and kingdom to what Jesus has in mind. And so the idea that Jesus the king would suffer must have sounded inconceivable to him. The Messiah suffering, God's king killed, it must have sounded very strange to him. And so that's why he responds in the way that he does. And how does Jesus answer him, verse 23, with a rebuke? And why is this rebuke so harsh? You see, what Peter is saying in verse 22 is very near to the way the devil spoke to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and tried to derail him from his mission. And it's such an appalling error because it's trying to stop Jesus from doing the very thing that he has come to do. There can be no kingdom without this cross the Messiah is going to defeat God's enemies. He is going to deliver God's people. But that enemy is not Rome. It's the sinful human heart. 
And you can't call Jesus the king without this. He had to suffer and die for there even to be a kingdom. You can't understand Jesus and who he is and what he comes for unless you can see the necessity of his death. Yes, he is the king, but you can't just stop there. You can't just hail him as the king. He had to suffer and die for there to be a kingdom at all. And so to think of Jesus, but not to think of this aspect of his mission and work, is to make a terrible mistake. And that's why the rebuke is so harsh. And it's a mistake that we are all prone to make, to shift the focus, to downplay that aspect of what he came to do, to reinterpret it. Or, and it's a thing we must all resist. You see, you don't need to be a cynic like George Bernard Shaw to fail to keep the cross central in your life. We lose sight of the problem of the sinful human heart and judgment and hell, and we start thinking about Jesus in other ways. We start to think about my sense of what's important, my needs, my life being better, things going well for me. We want peace, we want fulfillment. We think of Jesus as the wonderful helper and the friend and the comforter. And yes, he is all of those things, but thinking of him only like that subtly pushes this cross to one side. And we must not do that. It distorts the reality of why he came and it shifts the focus away from the problem of sin and anger and hell. And it gives us a warped gospel, which is no gospel. So we only get Jesus right when we keep the cross central. And so we see this severe, severe rebuke for Simon Peter. But it's not just Jesus' mission that's cross-centered, because now we learn that following Jesus is going to be cross-shaped as well. And just as we downplay the cross at times, we downplay what it means to go the self-denying way of the cross. And that takes us to verse 24. And when we think of self-denial, perhaps we think of things like going without some privilege or some comfort or some other way that we might tinker with the edges of our lives. And we fail to understand the radical nature of this teaching. Remember what a cross would have meant in that first century context. It meant death. And so this isn't talking about just denying yourself some luxury. I mean, it might mean that, but this is a, this is a situation where each person will have to apply this teaching for themselves. You see, there's a self that wants to be comfortable, that wants its own way, that wants to be happy, that wants to get ahead. The famous theologian from the last century, Bonhoeffer, wrote this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, the essence of discipleship is contained in those words. It's much deeper than just denying yourself some comfort. It means a change of allegiance, a turning away from self to follow Jesus. And a true Christian being one who no longer lives for self, but for Jesus. And the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit will cause us to long to go in that direction. That will, of course, be a battle. And Jesus identifies our fundamental problem, the sinful, self-centered human heart. We are essentially selfish. Our instincts and our self-preservation and our self-promotion 
is, is, is there in front of us. And he's calling us in that verse to deny that self and to follow him. And self-denial then is about giving over control. Everything in life has to be run past him, small things and big things. Many people would have heard of George Muller, the evangelist who set up orphanages to care for thousands of children. He was once asked, what's the secret of all that he'd done in his life? And he wrote this, there was a day when I died, died to George Muller, his opinions, his preferences, tastes and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval and blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied myself only, to show myself only approved unto God. He died to self. And so not just Jesus' mission, is cross-shaped, but following Jesus is going to be cross-shaped as well. And we've talked about self-denial, but what does it actually mean to deny yourself and take up your cross? Well, in the next three verses, 25, 26, and 27, we see three different statements that are all connected to verse 24. You'll see that connecting word for at the start of each one of them. And they're all going to show us uh, different ways in which we will apply that truth to our own life, our own lives, and will help us to go on the cross-shaped, self-denying way of following Jesus. Three realities, if you like, that will help us to understand what that teaching means. And so the first of these will be verse 25. And if you look at those words in verse 25 and verse 26, you'll see there's a particular word and it's translated life and soul in those two verses. And in the Greek, that's the same word four times. And it's the Greek word psyche from which we get our word psychology. And it refers to the self. And it means your identity, your personality, your selfhood, what makes you distinct. Now, Jesus is not saying that he wants us to lose our sense of being an individual self. Rather, he's saying, don't build your identity on the self. You see, every person has something in their life that if you acquire it or achieve it, this thing, whatever it is, then you'll have a self. You'll know that you're valuable. In our culture, it tends to be things like career or money or status or perhaps reputation. The Bible's word, although not used in this passage, but the Bible's word for this is the word idol. And that's the thing that has to be given up if you're going to follow Jesus. Many people will know the story of the rich young ruler. He will come a few chapters later in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And for him, that thing was money. He had to turn away from that if he was going to be a follower of Jesus. And so verse 25 helps us like this, and this is the first of those three realities. Picture it like this. Your hand is grasping onto that thing that you think you need to have in order to be satisfied. But the reality is, while you're grasping that thing, you're in danger. Because if you picture that hand that's now stuck inside a jar, that hand can't come out. It's trapped and only 
when you let go of that thing, is the hand free to be released? And that's something like what this verse is saying. While you grasp hold of that thing, eternally your life is threatened, you're trapped and you're in danger. And only by letting go of that thing can you be free to follow Jesus and, as it were, grasp hold of his hand. And so the appearance is contrasted with the reality. The appearance is we'll be satisfied with that thing, whatever it is, whether it's money or something else. But the reality is, as long as we are holding on to that thing, we cannot be a follower of Jesus. And only in following Jesus can there be true satisfaction. And this verse points out how that thing, which appears to give us satisfaction, is not only causing us to miss out on true satisfaction, it's threatening our very life and puts us in danger of eternal judgment. We're trapped by it, and each one of us needs to recognize what that thing is in our life so that we can surrender it and give over control to Jesus. That's the first reality. We are trapped. The following verse gives us a second reality that will help us to go on the self-denying, cross-shaped way. Again, there's something in your life that you're devoted to. Remember that Greek word psyche? There's something you feel strongly about, something that you get status or reputation from, whatever it is. And verse 24 told us that there must be self-denying and cross-carrying in order to be a follow, follower of Jesus. Now we see in verse 26 a second reality that thing that you're accumulating, that you've put time and effort into, the reality is that thing is completely worthless. It amounts to nothing like some investment scam that you've put all your resources into and it turns out to be completely bogus and there's nothing there at all. It's completely vanished. And actually that thing can seem to be valuable in the world's terms. It can seem like you're building up something. Perhaps it's, a, it's an amount of money and you think it's there and you think it's valuable. And Jesus even says, perhaps you'll gain the whole world doing that. You put so much time and effort into it and there it is. That's that thing that you need to have. And what this verse is telling us is that ultimately it's not worth anything. It's all gone. It's vanished. It's disappeared. It's not worth anything. It can't help you with the real problem, which is the sinful human heart. And in the end, because of it, you'll lose your soul eternally. There's a third reality in the next verse, and we'll focus in on that word that Jesus uses, reward. Now, negatively, there's a reward attached to going your own way. We saw it in the introduction when we looked at those verses that speak about the sinful human heart and the judgment and hell that is going to come. Out of that sinful human heart flow the works, and the verse uses that word, the works which are offensive to Jesus. And as the king, he must apply justice. And so the reward for those who've desired to save their own life by clinging on to that thing, the reward for those who've gained the whole world because their works will reflect that basic commitment to self. Their reward will be judgment, the judgment that's been threatened all along. Now that's not what this verse is talking about because wonderfully this verse 
is talking about those who have denied themselves and taken up their cross and followed Jesus, for those who've given over control of their life to follow him, who've said of their career or their money or their family or their reputation or whatever it is, they've said of that thing, no, I surrender control over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says he will reward those people. But what is the reward? Well, we see that the reward is given by the king in his kingdom, verse 28, as he comes in the glory of his father with his angels. Now, that's not the kingdom over Rome or any other oppressor, as we've heard. It's his kingdom over sin and the devil, and he comes again to give out the reward. So there's a future aspect to this reward that we can look forward to. The verse says, he will reward each according to his works on that day when he comes to judge those whose hearts have turned away from sin and self and have submitted to Jesus in self-denying, cross-carrying discipleship. Such hearts will inevitably do the works that Jesus will reward. Ultimately, that will be heaven, of course, and looking forward to that is a large part of what sustains the followers on that self-denying way. But don't miss the present aspect to that reward as well. Don't miss the wonderful truth that the self-denying, cross-shaped way of following Jesus is in Jesus' presence, in his company, in presence with him. That's part of the reward. Wonderfully, yes, there'll be safety on that day and him. But if you're a follower, they'll be daily carrying the cross, daily death to self. But don't forget that anything we've denied ourselves, don't forget that that is going to be rewarded here and now, as well as in the future, as we experience the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of being with him, in communion with him, in presence, in the presence of him. Graham read those words from Psalm 16 at the beginning of our time together. Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in shale, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Reward. There's a passage later in Matthew where this theme comes up again, Matthew 19, 28. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, same theme, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus goes on, and everyone who has left, and here we see the self-denying cross-shaped way of discipleship really kicking in. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive 100-fold. What does that mean for each of us? Well, we will need to explore that for ourselves. What things do we need to turn away from? What things do we need to give up? What things do we need to deny ourselves? Each of us will need to think a bit more about that. 
and I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you, but perhaps can I encourage you to make that part of your week this week and to explore perhaps with one or two others what those things might be. What are you tempted to be satisfied in and fulfilled by? What are your idols? What do you need to recommit to the cross-shaped way? What are those things in your life? How can we pray for one another? Verse 28, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, what is Jesus talking about? He could be talking about his transfiguration, which is the very next uh, episode we're going to see in the Gospel of Matthew. Or he could be talking about the events a bit further into the future, the death and the resurrection and the ascension. But either way, ultimately, he's saying he's the king who will judge. And only by being on that self-denying, cross-shaped way and following him can his sin-conquering mission include you, same for me. And to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom takes us back to the introduction, his identity as the Messiah, the king bringing in the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will overthrow all enemies, not politically, but spiritually, and ultimately the enemy of the sinful human heart and its evil outworking and the death and judgment that follow inevitably. So for those who follow him, those are the ones who are going to know and experience those benefits, the conquering of the sinful human heart, all the spiritual benefits of being a disciple that we read about in Psalm 16. Yes, the self-denial is costly. Yes, the cross-carrying is painful and heavy at times, but the true satisfaction of fellowship with him, not the false satisfaction of reputation or status, but the true value of his truth and promises and communion, not the false value of wealth or comfort, but the true reward of fellowship with him now and eternally. For those who have not made that step, of following Jesus, could I remind you of some of those things in Matthew's gospel? The problem of sin, the self-centered human heart, and the danger of hell. The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and what would you be able to say to him? On that day, he will be the judge, the only safety will be in him and in his way of the cross, and there are only two ways to function in the world either follower or idolater. And those idols, those things that drive you, have you really considered those three realities that the passage sets out? Those things trap you. Those things are completely worthless in the end. And the reward that will come from those things is ultimately judgment and hell. Have you considered the possibility that if you emptied your life of those things in order to get him instead? And fellowship with him forever, every day, in every situation, for the whole of your life. Here on earth, starting right now here today, and then at the end of your life when you die, having him take the punishment for all the things you've ever done wrong, because he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you're one of those on that self-denying cross-shaped way, if you're one of his followers, in amazed wonder, 
you're going to be able to say to him, my God, my God, why have you accepted me? And the answer you'll know in your heart is that there's nothing to do with you and what you've done, but it's all because of him and how he has loved you in a relationship that the greatest and most satisfying, fulfilling relationship that you enjoy on earth is only the very, very palest reflection of. Won't you choose the self-denying way of the cross too?